chapter 9, verses uh, 32 to 43. Uh, before we do that and get into the message, just go to the uh, Lord in a word of prayer. Uh, Lord, we do thank you uh, for the opportunity to come here on Sunday uh, to praise your name, to praise your name every day, but to be here in the house of the Lord today is indeed a privilege, Lord. We thank you. We don't take for granted all that you have done for us, uh, not only in providing with us with salvation, uh, but a place to worship and a place to do outreach from, Lord. We pray that now we would get into your word and, uh, Lord, that our hearts would be changed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One of the most famous sports broadcasting moments uh, ever uh, made was uh, during the 1980 Men's Olympic Hockey uh, tournament. You may remember that uh, back in 1980. And uh, what happened was that the Russian team was playing against the U.S. team uh, in the semifinal game. Uh, and uh, the Russian team, of course, was heavily favored. Uh, the Russian team was a team full of seasoned professionals who had been playing together for years and years. Uh, the American team was uh, just a bunch of young kids that they had assembled and thrown together and made an Olympic hockey team out of them. And uh, somehow they found their way into the semifinal game. It was inc an incredible achievement uh, that they had gotten that far, but nobody on the planet expected them to beat this Russian team. Well, midway through the third period, the score is tied 3-3. Three to three. Uh, Captain Mike Arruzioni scores a goal, and so the Americans now lead 4-3. to three. And the tension mounts as the clock ticks down. Five minutes to go, four minutes to go, three minutes to go, two minutes to go, one minute to go. Could they hold on? And with three seconds left, Al Michaels makes this most amazing call. Do you believe in miracles? Yes. And they throw their gloves, and it was over. And the U.S. hockey team had defeated this Russian team. And uh, it was the most uh, patriotic sports moment that I can ever imagine in my lifetime. And uh, those of you old enough uh, to, to remember that, uh, it just gives you chills even just remembering it, I'm sure, uh, as the, this U.S. team uh, beat this vaunted Russian team. And of course, uh, U.S.-Russian relations were not great at the time, and, and so it was a, uh, not only was it a victory on the, on the ice, but it was almost a victory over communism as well, right? It was, it was almost an ideological thing uh, in addition to uh, just a hockey game. Uh, well, what most people don't even remember is that the U.S. actually had to go on and win another game. They had to beat Finland to win the gold medal, which they did uh, a couple days later. But uh, this hockey game, this, this game against the Russians, is still known uh, as the miracle on ice. And the truth is that uh, the U.S. defeating Russia that day uh, was not a miracle in the true sense of the word, right? Whenever two teams uh, take the field of battle, whether it's on the ice or the court of the field or whatever it is, uh, either team uh, can win the game, and sometimes there are tremendous upsets. Otherwise, uh, why, why bother playing the game, right? Uh, sometimes the underdog actually does win. Uh, a miracle actually is something quite different. A miracle is something that is not possible without God, where God literally does something that is impossible uh, apart from divine intervention. And so our passage today is all about miracles. Uh, Chuck read two miracles for us, and so P Peter miraculously healed uh, a paralyzed man, right, named Aeneas, uh, by the power of Jesus. And then uh, Peter raised a dead woman named uh, Tabitha back to life by the power of Jesus. And these are two miracles that people could see with their eyes, right? Uh, they knew Aeneas. He lived in a town called Lydda. He was paralyzed for eight years. He couldn't get up, and now here he is. He's walking around. 
we see this miracle. And then there's the miracle of Dorcas. She lived in Joppa. Uh, people knew her. She used to make clothes for the widows, but she fell sick and she died. But here she is walking around, raised up again, resuscitated again uh, to life, even though her body had been prepared for burial. So these were two physical miracles that they could see with their own eyes. But there was a third miracle going on during uh, these two physical miracles, and that miracle uh, was uh, kind of behind the text, kind of something that you couldn't see with human eyes, and that is the change that was happening inside of Peter as Jesus was performing these miracles uh, through him uh, to Aeneas and to uh, Dorcas. And so the real miracle that happens here is the miracle of how God was changing Peter uh, from the inside out. Our need does not end when we are saved, right? Our need doesn't end there. We still need the gospel. God loves us the way we are, but he loves us too much to leave us in the condition that he found us. And so we need to be saved by the gospel. Uh, And like Peter, we also need to be changed by the gospel. And we see uh, in this passage two physical miracles, but we see the gospel changing Peter as well. And so let's look first at this first physical miracle, how Jesus healed Aeneas uh, through Peter. So the last time we saw Peter, uh, he was uh, leaving Samaria uh, with John and probably with Philip and heading back from Samaria back to Jerusalem. And he was preaching the gospel all along the way. And when he got back to Jerusalem, it seems that he was commissioned to go out on another mission trip. And so he heads out again uh, towards these regions uh, that uh, verse 32 says he was traveling all through those regions. And so we need to look up to verse 31 to know what regions he's talking about. Uh, In verse 31, it says that he's traveling all throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, which you can see Uh, on the map here. So this area is Judea, Samaria is a little further north, and Galilee is a little further north of that. So essentially all through central Israel is where he's going. And he's on a traveling evangelism tour uh, through these regions. And and so he comes to this town called Lydda, uh, which is right here on the map from Jerusalem, out that way, about 25 miles or so. He comes to this town. It was known as Lod in the Old Testament, same town. Uh, you know, the further away from Jerusalem you get, the more likely you are to bump into a more Gentile uh, people because some of these towns happen to be on Roman roads. And so you would have more Gentile interaction uh, the further you got from Jerusalem. Uh, Lydda was still a Jewish town, but you would find uh, Gentiles there. But when Peter got there, he found some saints there. And isn't that interesting? Uh, he found saints there because of the work of Philip, who had gone before him. Do you remember uh, a couple weeks ago when we talked about Philip and the eunuch? He was taken up, caught up, uh, and he found himself at this town called Azotus, which is right over here. And then the text told us that he preached up and down the towns of the coast until he landed at Caesarea. And so Philip was already laying the groundwork for the work that Peter was going to be doing there. And now Peter is harvesting in the places where Philip had already sown seed. Uh, Some people were believers, that's why there are saints there. Uh, But by Philip's preaching, some other people were also being made prepared to receive the gospel and getting ready uh, to, to, to receive what Peter was about to preach. And so then Peter comes in ready to reap Uh, the seed that Philip has sown. And it goes to show us that we don't have to be the one who does the actual converting, right? 
it's okay for us to sow the seed and someone else to reap the reward. Sometimes that happens. We plant seed and then somebody else uh, is there at the moment when that person is converted. Uh, that's okay. Sometimes you'll reap the seed that others have sown. Sometimes somebody else has planted the gospel in somebody's mind uh, and they weren't ready to believe and then you come along and then you reap the harvest that they have sown. Uh, either one is okay. All we're trying to do is to move people uh, one step closer toward belief. And if we get to reap the harvest, that's great. But uh, if somebody else gets to reap the harvest, that's great too. The important thing is that the harvest is reaped, right? So we're not told whether Aeneas uh, is a believer. Uh, in the next story, Luke called Dorcas uh, a disciple, but he only calls Aeneas here a man. So he may not have been a believer yet. Uh, we just don't know, but that doesn't matter to Jesus. He's going to do uh, a healing either way. And so Peter says to Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Take up your mat. Uh, and of course, we can't miss uh, the parallel to, the, to, to this story. Uh, when you think about that, it, it rings bells in your head about how Jesus uh, healed the paralytic who was lowered through the roof by his friends. And uh, Jesus said to him, your sins are forgiven. Take up your mat and walk, right? So you get the same sense, the same story. Uh, Peter using the same language uh, that Jesus did. Peter, uh, Jesus told the apostles, a greater works than these will you do because I go to the Father and I will send the Holy Spirit. And so here is Peter, uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit and by the love of Jesus, uh, doing the same kinds of things uh, that Jesus was doing. And, and Peter took no credit for the healing, right? He says, Jesus Christ heals you. Uh, pick up your mat and walk. And so uh, what we see here is, is that Peter takes no credit. Jesus is the source of the healing. And whenever we have uh, a healing or a miracle of healing, uh, what typically follows is that people are going to believe and be saved. And we see that uh, here in this story. Uh, verse 35 says that all who lived in Lydda and Sharon uh, believed uh, and turned to the Lord. And, and Sharon is not actually a town. It's actually an entire region that stretches all the way from Joppa to Caesarea up to Mount Carmel. That's about a 50-mile area on the coastal plain. So lots of people were being converted uh, at this point in time. But what we see is that the gospel is slowly but surely moving from Jerusalem. Now it's in Lydda. And the next story is heading to Joppa. And it's making its way slowly but surely up to Caesarea, where uh, Peter is going to encounter Cornelius, the first Gentile, uh, who is going to be saved. And so uh, here it's taking another step closer to Caesarea as the gospel moves to Joppa. So we'll see here that Jesus raised Dorcas through Peter. So verse 36 begins with the story of Tabitha. Uh, Luke translates Tabitha into the Greek for Theophilus and his Greek reading audience. The, the, the name in Greek is Dorcas. Uh, but Dorcas and Tabitha both have the same meaning. They mean gazelle, which is really a fitting description because this is a beautiful woman that he's about to describe. And a gazelle uh, is a beautiful animal, uh, graceful and just uh, beautiful to look at, to watch. And so uh, Luke tells us a lot about her. First, he calls her a disciple, right? And that means she's a believer. So she's a believer in the Lord. And she, he tells us about her ministry. She was full of deeds of good kindness and charity that she used to continually do. So 
Now, this is not somebody who does a good deed and then you know, says, look at me, look at the good deed I just did, and you know, goes off bragging about it. This is a woman whose life was marked by uh, these good deeds that she used to do, making uh, clothes uh, for these widows. Uh, we don't know if she was a widow herself, but it's certainly possible that she was a widow. Uh, but she has this ministry to widows, and she's constantly doing good deeds toward these widows. And she must have been a woman of some means to be able to afford the materials to make these clothes uh, and to give them away to these widows. But she fell sick, and she died while Peter was still in Lydda, just down the road. Uh, they washed her body, and they laid it in an upper room. And, and that is not common burial practice uh, in Israel. Uh, it's very hot in Israel. And they didn't embalm, and so decomposition would occur uh, very quickly. So burial practice, common burial practices, they die, and you get them buried that day. Or if they died late at night, uh, you get them in the ground early the next day uh, so to avoid decomposition and the stench that would follow. Uh, so not coincidentally, but providentially, uh, Peter is still in Lydda, this town that's just 10 or 11 miles down the road. Uh, Peter's still there. And some of the disciples from Joppa heard that Peter was still there. Uh, undoubtedly, they heard about this miracle that had been done uh, by the healing of Aeneas. And so they went down to get Peter. And probably they didn't bury Dorcas, hoping that maybe uh, Jesus would do another miracle uh, through Peter in raising Dorcas. So two men are sent, and they come down uh, to Lydda, where Peter is, and they find Peter, and they say, please come uh, and do not delay. And so Peter gets up and he heads north for Joppa. And it's about 10 or 11 miles to get to Joppa, so that's probably a three to four hour walk. And, and by the time Peter gets there, he arrives at this upper room, and all the widows are there, of course, and they're grieving, and they're mourning, and they're wailing. They loved Dorcas. You can just uh, picture this intimate scene in your head of, of Dorcas laid out, uh, and the widows weeping and wailing and mourning. And as they wait uh, for Peter to come, that three to four hours must have seemed like an eternity to them. But, but here now Peter arrives and, and he's shown to this upper room and the widows show uh, Peter the clothing that she used to make for them. And can't you just see how intimate that is, uh, thinking about uh, how wonderful and beloved this woman was uh, to, these, to these women. And so uh, the scene reminds us, of course, of when Jesus healed Jairus' daughter. Do you remember when uh, Jesus came uh, to this upper room with James and Peter and John where uh, the young girl was laid out and he put everyone out of the room and then he, he said to the girl, Talitha kum, which means little girl, arise, uh, after he had he'd left or made everybody leave the room. And now Peter does the same thing. Uh, but to Dorcas, he says, first he kneels down and he prays and then he says, Tabitha kum, only one letter difference, right? The, it's almost the same exact command, Talitha uh, to the little girl, but Tabitha uh, to, uh, to this woman. Uh, and so Peter does the same, uh, the same command except for one letter. Uh, the difference in the two stories is that Jesus, of course, had the power in himself to do this healing, right? But, but Peter had to kneel down and he had to pray and he had to ask Jesus to do a work through the Holy Spirit uh, through him. And I wonder what happened in those moments. You know, uh, Peter's prayer is not recorded and Jesus' response is not recorded. But I like to think that, that Peter said, Lord, 
Uh, would you raise this woman? Uh, look at these grieving widows. Would you, would, you, would you do them a favor? Would you show them, them some grace and mercy? And, and I like to think of Jesus just you know, smiling, a knowing smile, and said, well, just ask her, Peter. Just tell her to get up. And so Peter does. Peter says, arise, arise. And, and, and so the woman opens her eyes and sees Peter, and she sits up. And what an incredible uh, moment for Peter, for Dorcas, and and for the believers, but especially the widows, as this woman who they loved and who they depended on uh, was returned to her. Uh, the, the grace and the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ on full display here um, uh, to see for, for Dorcas and for these widows who, who loved her and depended on her. And, and so the news spread all over Joppa. Of course, whenever there's a miracle like that, the news is going to travel really fast. And and then Luke finished with another summary statement in verse 42 about how all of these people, believers, were coming to the Lord now, seeing the result of what happened. People were saved. Whenever we have a miracle of healing, people are saved as a result. And so there were two physical miracles that day. We had the healing of Aeneas. We had the raising of Tabitha, also known as Dorcas. But there was also this spiritual miracle that was going on inside of Peter. And I think this is as amazing, if not more amazing, than the first two that we looked at. So let's look at how Jesus changed Peter through Aeneas and Dorcas. Does anybody know uh, from your Old Testament what other famous uh, thing happened in Joppa? Who knows? Anybody remember? Jonah, that's right. Jonah. When God called Jonah... Uh, to go and preach to the Ninevites, what did Jonah do? He turned and ran in the opposite direction. He ran to Joppa, and he boarded a ship at Joppa, uh, and he was trying to flee to a town called Tarshish to flee from the presence of the Lord. Well, how'd that work out for Jonah? Not so well, right? He ends up in the belly of a fish. Uh, never been there. Doesn't sound like a fun place. Uh, but until he repented, that's where he remained. He stayed three days in the belly of a fish, uh, when he repented, then the Lord commanded God to spit, uh, to have the, the fish spit Jonah out onto dry land. Uh, and then Jonah got up and he went to the Ninevites, but he was still not happy about it, right? He still went with, a, with an unhappy heart. Uh, often in life, it's all about your attitude. Uh, Jonah didn't love people. Uh, he didn't want to see God's mission be completed. Uh, he knew that God was gracious and compassionate. He knew that God was going to save the Ninevites, which was why he didn't want to go in the first place. He didn't want to see the Ninevites saved. And so Jonah was hostile to God's will and disobedient to God's will. And sometimes when you're disobedient to God's will, you end up in the belly of a fish. I'm just saying, so be careful. Um, but now contrast Jonah uh, with this new and improved Peter, right? This is Peter now indwelt by the Holy Spirit, right? Uh, uh, we see only obedience and a servant's attitude in Peter. He wants to do God's will. Uh, before he was indwelt with the Holy Spirit, he was rash, he was impetuous, he argued with Jesus, uh, he argued with the other disciples about which one among them uh, was the greatest. But now he followed the Spirit, uh, and was led by the Spirit uh, to what uh, the Spirit had for him to do. And so far in Acts, Peter had led many to Christ, right? Uh, he preached to regular people. He preached all the way up to the Sanhedrin. He had survived warnings and whippings and imprisonment, and he was learning what it meant to be a disciple. 
uh, I'm sure he remembered that Jesus told them that if anyone wants to follow me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And that's what it means to be a disciple. That's what, it, that's what a disciple does. But we can't do it without the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Jonah didn't have the Holy Spirit, and he either could not or would not uh, obey God. He just didn't have the love for these Ninevites and his own power. Um, but Peter, indwelt by the Holy Spirit now, uh, loves the Lord, wants to do the Lord's will, and he's able to preach the gospel to the dreaded Samaritans. Uh, if you can imagine uh, how hard that was for him, uh, all preparing him for what is coming next. And, and so he's traveling outside the, the, of Jerusalem to preach the gospel and do these miraculous he healings. So God's changing Peter from the inside out. He's chipping away at these prejudices that Peter has, which is miraculous in and of itself. Uh, while God was healing Aeneas and raising Dorcas, uh, slowly but surely, Peter is beginning to see that there is no favoritism with God, that God loves everyone equally. Uh, God saved Jews, of course he did that, but Samaritans uh, and an Ethiopian eunuch, what's next, Gentiles? Yeah, Gentiles. As we come to next week, we will see that. Uh, so we just have to praise God uh, that, that God included the Gentiles or else where would we be, right? None of us would be saved. And so I just want to think about in, in light of God's incredible grace to include Gentiles, include us among these people that he has chosen to be saved, can we find compassion in our hearts for people who are different from us, right? For people that we would not necessarily walk up to on the street and say, uh, strike up a conversation and tell them about the goodness of our Lord. Uh, Jonah couldn't find the compassion to do it, but Peter, indwelt with the Holy Spirit, was able to do that. Let's look at how this passage ends in verse 43. It says, And Peter stayed many days in Joppa with a tanner named Simon. Now that is a significant verse, not only because it sets up uh, the conversion of Cornelius next week. They went down to Joppa to find Peter, and they knew that he was staying at the house of Simon the Tanner. So it sets up next week's story, but it's more important because of the occupation of a tanner. Uh, a tanner is somebody who makes leather out of animal hides, and so they're dealing with dead animals all the time, which makes them ritually unclean uh, to a Jew. And so a tanner, by law, uh, couldn't live in the village. They had to live at least 75 feet outside of the village uh, because uh, of, that, of their particular ritual uh, unclean, uncleanness. And uh, the stench of death was absolutely suffocating. It was coming from their house 24-7. Uh, in fact, there was a law on the books at the time that said that uh, if you were a young girl and you were engaged to a tanner and you didn't know that, that that person was a tanner and you found out during the course of the engagement that, she, that, 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 that this man was a tanner, you could break off, you could void the engagement. Uh, so uh, despised was this occupation. Uh, and yet, what do we find here is, is that Peter's staying in the home of a tanner. Why would he stay there? It seems like there was a pretty nice upper room that had just been vacated by Dorcas, right? Maybe he could have stayed there. But no, he chooses to stay in the house of a tanner. Uh, I think that as God was working on Peter, uh, he's chipping away at Peter's prejudices and, and even chipping away at Peter's thoughts about what is clean and unclean and, and maybe less concerned about traditions and ritual uncleanliness 
than he was before. Now, to be sure, God's still going to have to do a work in Peter because next week when the sheet comes down with the unclean animals on it, uh, there's going to be more work to be done. But I think God's just chipping away slowly but surely uh, at Peter, uh, but only because Peter was obedient to the Holy Spirit and following his leading. Uh, God changed Peter uh, by the power of the gospel, and God has changed us too. Amen? Amen. By the way, uh, the house of Simon the Tanner is still there. Uh, this is it. If you go uh, to Joppa, you can see it. And above the lintel there, it says, a house of Simon the Tanner. And amazing as it may seem, Simon the Tanner actually still lives there. This is him. <laughs> All right, that's a joke. Actually, this man owns Simon the Tanner's house, though. And I bet he's figured out a way to make a shekel or two off of that arrangement, don't you think? Uh, so uh, that's, that's the Simon the Tanner's house. And so if you go to Israel and take a tour around, you can see that. Uh, okay, let's think about some applications. Followers of Jesus will never die spiritually. Dorcas was raised to this new life, uh, but it was a physical life and she would die again physically, but she never died spiritually because she was a disciple. She was a believer. And neither will any of us who have trusted in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior for our salvation. He died for our sins and he rose from the dead. He purchased us from the punishment that we deserve. Jesus said, unless anyone be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So believers then are born twice, at physical birth and then at spiritual birth, but only die once when we pass from this earthly life into the presence of Jesus eternally in heaven. But unbelievers are born once at physical birth and then die twice. They die a physical death and then they will die a spiritual death when they are eternally judged. And, and there were a few believers like Dorcas and like Lazarus who actually died twice physically, but they never died spiritually because they experienced the second birth that leads to eternal life. So I just ask you this morning to examine your hearts. Have you trusted Jesus for your salvation? Second, use your gifts and talents to bless others. Dorcas had a gift, right? She was talented. She could sew. It was a simple gift that she, could, that she used to bless others. Uh, that's not one of the spiritual gifts listed in the Bible. If you read the spiritual gifts, you won't find sewing among them, but it's a very practical and it's a very useful skill. And she used it to benefit the members of the body. So what unique skill do you possess that others in the body could use? Uh, can you sew? Can you cook? Can you balance a checkbook? Can you write a budget? Can you change a light fixture or a toilet? Certainly there is somebody in the body who has need of some of the gifts and talents that you have. So think about what those are for you uh, and offer it up to the body. Uh, see who has a need for the particular skill uh, that you have. And then finally, understand that everything that God allows in your life is preparation for the next thing that God has for you. When we studied Paul's conversion last week, we said that Paul's conversion wasn't instantaneous. It actually was the product of everything that God had been doing in Paul's life up to that particular point in time that made him ripe for salvation uh, by faith in Christ. Uh, and this week, we see God doing the same thing through somebody who's already a believer, somebody who's already indwelt by the Holy Spirit, this time through Peter. Uh, even after we're saved, God continues to put things in our path to help make us 
more Christ-like, to help us grow in our relationship with Christ, even though we're already saved. And this is as much uh, of a miracle as any physical healing that we'll find in the Bible, maybe even more so. So for Peter, uh, the warning, uh, and then the whipping, and then the witnessing of Samaritans coming to Christ is all preparation for the next thing that God has for him, which is going to be witnessing to the Gentiles, which would be unthinkable uh, to Peter not so long ago. And just like God used everything in Peter's life to prepare him for the next thing, so God uses everything in your life to prepare you for what God has next for you. And so we need to have a teachable spirit, though, to understand these things. Peter had a teachable spirit now that he had the Holy Spirit. And so we need to contemplate God's work in our lives, the things that he is doing, uh, and just think about those things that he's doing and, and think about what he's trying to teach us through the things that he allows in our lives. Last week, when I asked you to write out a testimony about what God has done in your life, the, a testimony is nothing more than, this is me before Christ, this is what Christ has done to save me, and this is what Christ has done uh, with me since. Uh, if you wrote that out, then you you've already done this experiment, right? You've seen that whatever uh, God has allowed in your life has been preparation uh, for the next thing. And so when you think about your lives, what are you going through now? Do you have health issues? Do you have financial issues? Do you have relational issues at home or at work that are difficult? Uh, maybe you're overloaded by stress and everything that you have on your plate. A lot of you are caring for aging parents, and that can be a very time-consuming and difficult thing. Uh, you may be fearful and anxious about what God has next for you, uh, but you don't need to be because whatever it is, God is using it to prepare you for what he has next for you. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be fearful and anxious. God loves you. Uh, he sent his son to die for you, and he's a good God, and he wants what's best for you, and he's preparing you for what's next. And this is what James meant when he said, uh, consider it all joy, uh, my brothers, when you undergo trials of many kinds, because the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result that you may be made perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So let me ask you, can you do that today? Can you look at your circumstances and can you trust God enough to know that everything that God allows in your life is to prepare you for what he has next for you. I want us to go to the Lord in prayer this morning. I'm going to bow my head. I'd like you to bow with me, and we're just going to pray. Uh, I want you to follow and, and pray to the Lord as I lead us. Lord God, we just thank you. And I want us to take uh, a few seconds, Lord, each one of us as we sit just to thank you, God, for your grace and goodness, and thank you for your salvation through your Son, Jesus. Let's thank the Lord that he's just continually shaping us uh, into Christ-likeness and making us more like his Son. Let's ask God for a teachable spirit that would be uh, obedient and listening for the Holy Spirit's leading in our lives.
Let's ask God for what he wants us to learn from our present circumstances and how he might use us as a result of what he has put in our path today. Lord God, we are thankful for your word. We are thankful for physical miracles. But even more so, Lord, we're thankful for spiritual miracles, the salvation of our souls and the ability uh, that you are giving us through the power of the Holy Spirit to be made more Christ-like. We thank you, Lord, for the forgiveness of our sins. We thank you that you chose us for your salvation. And we look forward to the day, Lord, when we will see you face-to-face, changed because of the gospel that you have so graciously given to us. Lord, we thank you for your Son. And we just pray, Lord, that uh, as we deal with circumstances in our lives, that we would become and be made more Christ-like by them, Lord. Use us. Help us to be uh, teachable and obedient to the Spirit, and, and help us to use the things that you put in our path so that we're ready for what you have next. And may we be prepared Uh, to witness to those who will cross our paths as a result of the things that we uh, have learned from you, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.